Welcome to the Center for Thomistic Studies Colloquium Series Podcast. Each episode of our Colloquium Series Podcast features a member of the Center or a visiting scholar presenting a philosophical paper on a subject of their research. In this episode, we'll hear Dr. Gaston Lenotre, an independent scholar, giving a talk titled Thomas Aquinas on the Different Problems of Individuation. And without further ado, our podcast. We're very lucky to have back uh, our old student, Mr. Lenotre, now Dr. Gaston Lenotre, native of Houston. He's uh, roughly about the same generation as Mr. Nevitt that we had already come, come to campus earlier. You may have remembered Mr. Nevitt. Right, you're about the same year. Same year, yes. Seems like they were often together. I associate the two. They both went off to get their PhDs in philosophy, and they've both uh, produced some excellent work. He was at Catholic U, Mr. Nevitt at, at Fordham. Now he, he's living in Ave Maria, where his wife has a job in the English department, and we're very glad to have him here. It's a, a nice opportunity for us. Okay, thank you, Dr. Osborne, for having me, and thank you for taking time out of this early spring break to uh, listen to this. I hope to reward you in my own way. Uh, this topic, uh, the, the title is Thomas Aquinas on the Different Principles of Individuation. Since the middle of the 20th century, many interpreters hold that Aquinas shifted positions regarding the principle of individuation. Recently, John F. Whipple states, in spite of efforts on the part of some to prove that Thomas never changed his mind concerning the kind of dimensions involved in individuation, it seems clear from the text we have examined that he did, and more than once. Even more recently, Fabrizio Amerini states, it is well known that Thomas changed his mind on the role of extension in the process of substantial individuation. There have also been different solutions proposed toward resolving this issue, including ones by Joseph Bobick and Joseph Owens. Owens's solution is most well known and claims that dimensions are not a real primary principle of individuation, but rather existence is the real primary principle of individuation. Many interpreters have followed Owens's lead. Although he does not consider the role of dimensions, Lawrence Dewan arguably dismantles Owens's interpretation that existence serves as a principle of individuation. He unravels the Owensian interpretation through an examination of his proof texts, and he shifts our attention to Thomas's metaphysical statements on the individual as a mode of being. Nevertheless, Duan leaves Owens's discussion of dimensions intact. This merely partial criticism is problematic because Though Thomas may not have ever stated or even implied ex that existence is the principle of individuation, as Duan argues, Owens's creative retrieval might show that Thomas should have stated that existence is the real principle of individuation. It may be that Thomas's metaphysics requires existence to be such a principle. The first question to ask, then, is whether Owens is right to consider designated matter and dimensions for Thomas as primarily logical principles of individuations 
but rather than real primary principles. In this paper, I shall first resolve the broader question concerning whether Thomas shifted his mind on the type of dimensions necessary for individuation. I then summarize Owens's interpretation and evaluate his interpretation in terms of the metaphysical context of individuation for Thomas. My goal in this paper is to enter more deeply into Thomas's metaphysics of individuation. In this first section of the paper, I want to point out some key controversial texts as paradigm cases to show that Thomas does not shift his mind on the dimensions necessary for the individuation of corporeal substances. Once we see the context, especially the question of what is being individuated, we shall see no discrepancy in Thomas's stated views uh, in other passages. We find Thomas's most sophisticated and most controversial statements on the principle of individuation in his commentary on Boethius's De Trinitate. In question four, article two, Thomas discusses the, discusses the cause of numerical diversity. He states that just as the parts of a genus and species are matter and form, so the parts of an individual are this matter and this form. Hence, numerical diversity is caused by this matter, this form, and this matter. However, Thomas continues, no form is this of itself, because a form that can be received in matter or in a subject is predicable of many. And this predicability is against the nature of an individual substance. Consequently, form is made this by being received in matter. In other words, a corporeal form in and of itself can belong to many individuals. So it is not individual of itself. Rather, in order to be made individual, the form needs something that does not, of itself, belong to many. This additional factor is matter, which acts as a subject for the form and receives it. However, Thomas says, matter in itself is indistinct. Therefore, matter cannot individuate the form unless it, the matter, is made divisible. Although the form is received by matter, it must be received by this matter that is distinct and determined to the here and now. Moreover, matter is divisible only through quantity, so matter is made this and designated owing to the fact that it is subject to dimensions. Thomas is stating that matter in itself cannot receive the corporeal form because matter in itself is not distinguished. Matter needs to be made divisible or marked off, as it were, as this matter under dimensions. Once matter is designated, it is determined to the here and now. It exclusively belongs to this place and this time. In sum, form is individuated by matter only if matter is distinct, but matter is made distinct only by being subject to dimensions. Thomas ends question 4, article 2 by distinguishing two ways of considering these dimensions. And one way dimensions can be considered according to their determination, which is according to a determinate measure and configuration. And this, in this sense, as perfected or complete beings, they are placed in the genus of quantity. Moreover, in this consideration, dimensions cannot be the principle of individuation. The reason is that such a determination of dimensions would vary frequently in the same individual. It would follow that the, di that the individual would not always remain the same in number. Another... Yes, exactly. So if your dimensions change all the time, you're not going to be a numerically distinct and the same numerically distinct being. So it can't be that, Thomas is saying here. 
Another way dimensions can be considered is without these determinations, that is, as having simply the nature of dimensions. Thomas grants that these dimensions can never exist without some determination, determination just as the nature of color cannot exist without the determination of white or black. These dimensions are placed in the genus of quantity as something not yet perfected. Nevertheless, from these indeterminate dimensions, matter is made this does it in matter, which thus individuates the form. Thomas goes on to make a statement that often causes consternation. He states that the principle of individuation cannot be matter under determinate dimensions because these dimensions are here and now different according to different shapes and measurements. For instance, Socrates' snub nose may grow during adolescence. Instead, what serves, uh, and so he would change during this time. Instead, what serves as a principle of individuation is matter under dimensions that do not vary. That is matter under simply the nature of dimensions. The nature of dimensions are simply indeterminate dimensions. In other words, Thomas's fullest acquisition of individuation concludes that matter, in this De Trinitate passage, concludes that matter underlying indeterminate dimensions serves as a principle of numerical diversity within a species. Form is rendered individual by matter, and matter is rendered individual by indeterminate dimensions. The third objection, which is um, going to be in number two in the handout, to Thomas's position points out that since accidents are all forms, they are of themselves universal, but a principle of individuation cannot be a universal. So the objection is saying that accidents are universal, but principle of individuation can't be universal. And so Aquinas responds, the nature, ratio, of an individual, Thomas states, is that which is undivided in itself and divided from others by the last numerical division. Among accidents, only quantity has this division of itself. Hence, it is self-individuating because dimensions of themselves have a certain uh, nature, rationum, of individuation. They have this aspect according to a determinate position. Insofar as position is a difference in quantity, Thus, a dimension has the nature of individuation in two ways. In one way from the subject, as with any other accident, and another way of itself insofar as it has position. Thomas is stating that quantity has the nature of an individual because it is the only accident that has position. Position necessarily involves place and so excludes other substances from a given place. This factor gives dimensions the character, rationum, of individuation. However, it is not dimensions that primarily individuate, but matter pre-understood under indeterminate dimensions. Determ determinate dimensions cannot individuate since these are already grounded in a complete subject. And are, Aquinas says, in a sense, individuated by designated matter. So determinate dimensions are like uh, on the other end of the spectrum here. They're already, they're already down the line uh, in terms of individuation. In other words, Thomas reaffirms that determinate dimensions arrive too late in the sequence of individuation to serve as real principles of individuation. They are by definition posterior to a given individual composite and so cannot individuate that composite. Thomas also adds here a distinction that he did not make in his main response. He states at the end of his third reply that indeterminate dimensions are pre-understood in matter. Dimensions are only pre-understood in matter before the arrival of the substantial form. Matter is conceived as measurable before the substantial form and thereby individuates the substantial form. We should at this point consider how dimensions can individuate matter without 
upsetting the unquestionable priority of substance over accidents. Briefly put, these dimensions are not complete accidental forms, they're not accidental forms. They are indeterminate or incomplete dimensions that are pre-understood in matter. In this consideration, matter is preconceived with dimensions. Matter is predisposed to the corporeal form to receive it with appropriate dimensions. In its inclination to the substantial form, matter can be understood with dimensions that render it this designated matter. For Thomas, matter is concreated with the form, inseparable from the composite, in the divine mind, and identical to its potency for the substantial form. In other words, indetermin indeterminate dimensions are not accidental forms, which are, which, would be, which are posterior to the substance. Instead, they are the nature of dimensions as such, dimensions that are necessarily presupposed or required in the determination of a corporeal form and prime matter. At the instant when a new plant buds from a seed, there has to be something extended, something with indeterminate length, breadth, and depth, in order for the form of the plant to determine the primary matter. It is in the intrinsic nature of the plant or of any body by virtue of the actuality of the substantial form of the body and the potency of primary matter, to already have at the instant of generation a predisposition to the accidental form of quantity. It is this predisposition that allows primary matter to be secondary matter, that is to be this matter receptive of this form. Thomas continues his discussion of the individuating role of designated matter in the next question. This is number three on the handout. Thomas articulates in question 5, article 2 of his commentary on Boethius' Trinitate, the way that designated matter is matter left out of consideration by the natural philosopher. Thomas argues here that in sensible substances there is the whole composite which is generated and corrupted per se, and the composite's nature or form. Natural science studies the nature or form of the composite not insofar as the composite exists here and now. A thing exists here and now as individuated by matter existing under determinate under designated dimensions. Uh, hence, natures of this kind must be thought of without designated matter. Thomas concludes that designated matter and everything that follows upon such matter is excluded from natural science, but not undesignated matter. The context here in question five, article two, is a subject of natural science. The science of nature does not treat of the individual corporeal substance that lives and dies, such as Socrates, but of the nature or form of that substance. The science of natural philosophy treats of composite things, but it abstracts the nature of the object from the particular. For instance, this man is not considered as this man, but as man. In more technical language, man is not considered with designated matter, but with undesignated matter. In his reply to the first objection, Thomas briefly remarks that matter existing under designated dimensions is a principle of individuation. This phrase, designated dimensions, does not appear in any other text in Aquinas' corpus. However, the very term designated uh, means demonstrated or pointable with a finger. It signifies a this. The passage suggests that then that these dimensions are complete and existing dimensions. Uh, I said that there was no other text, but there is another text where it says designated or determined. And so this seems to be synonymous terms, designated and determined. Uh, since the phrase designated means determinate dimensions, this text seems to conflict 
with the other passage we just read, in the, the Trinitate question 4, article 2. In question 4, article 2, Thomas thoroughly argues that indeterminate dimensions serve as a principle of individuation. In this question, question 5, article 2, Thomas seems to renounce this thesis. He's saying designated or determined dimensions are the principle of individuation. Once we examine the context of these passages, however, we see that the discrepancy lies only on the surface. Each context proposes a very different viewpoint on what is individuated. This is to say that these two texts widely differ in regard to the subject of individuation. In question 4, article 2, Thomas articulates how matter and form are individuated. But in question 5, article 2, he articulates how natures are individuated. In question 5, Thomas describes the way in which each speculative science is divided according to its degree of freedom from matter. The science of nature treats of matter that does not belong to the here and now. In fact, the science of nature and any other science ex excludes matter determined to the here and now. This is to say that unlike question 4, article 2, Thomas is concerned in question 5, article 2, with excluding from the sciences matter that only belongs to individuals, including matter under determined dimensions. Thomas explicitly calls matter existing under determined dimensions a principle of individuation. And this is in text 4. Uh, in his response to the first objection. Uh, but this principle individuates differently from question 4, article 2. This principle of individuation here distinguishes the individual from the universal. It is a principle that renders the corporeal substance indefinable, such that although man can be defined within a natural science, Socrates cannot be defined because of his designated matter. The natural sciences are of universals, so they exclude within their immediate scope the matter that belongs to an actual individual. These sciences consider natures abstracted from their designated matter and from everything that follows upon designated matter. Such a nature, which includes form and common matter, is the proper object of the science of nature. So there's these two contexts, right? There's matter and form that we're talking ontological principles. And then there's the way science works and our cognition. The two contexts. Different things are being individuated. Different, uh, in one case, it's the form and the matter. In the other case, it's the nature that we that we understand. Not long after Tom, Th Thomas's commentary on Boethius's De Trinitate, while still at the University of Paris, Thomas writes on the question of mind in his De Veritate. Uh, in question ten, Article five, which is on hand not on handout number five, Thomas discusses how the human mind knows singular things. Thomas states that the human mind is brought to material things first according to form, and secondly to matter, insofar it as it has a relationship to the form. However, just as every form is universal of itself, likewise the relationship of matter to form only allows the human mind only allows the human mind to know the matter in a universal way. However, matter considered universally is not a principle of individuation. In other words, the intellect abstracts the form from the individual corporeal substance. When the form is abstracted, the intellect can consider the matter's relation to the form. However, this matter is considered as universal, so it cannot be a principle of individuation. Thomas proceeds in this question to state that the principle of individuation is matter considered in an individual, that is designated matter under existing under determinate dimensions from which form is individuated. Hence, the parts of man are form and matter taken universally, but the parts of Socrates are this form and this matter. Hence, our mind is not able to know individuals directly, but 
The sensitive powers receive the forms of things through a corporeal organ. In this way, an individual receives forms under determinate dimensions, and thereby lead us to the knowledge of material singulars. Just as the universal form leads to the knowledge of matter taken universally, so an individual form leads to the knowledge of designated matter, which is a principle of individuation. The form in question here is different from the form in De Trinitate question 4. It's not the form of the part, which is correlative to, to prime matter. He's talking about the form of the whole, which is another term for the nature. So here again, in De Veritate, we're talking about the nature. And the principle of individuation for the nature is matter under determinate dimensions. So he's being totally consistent with what he said in uh, what we saw in question 5, article 2. The form in question here is the forma totius, the form of the whole, which is another expression for the nature. In this passage from De Veritate, Thomas calls the principle of individuation designated matter existing under determinate dimensions. He also states that from this matter, form is individuated. The context of the article is the mind's direct ability to grasp individual sensible things. This is to say that the article refers to Thomas's theory of knowledge, not to the ontological principles of a corporeal substance. These forms, when grasped non-precisively, are related to their matter. But this matter is universal. This matter does not let us know the individual, so it is not a principle of individuation. The question here is how the mind grasps a singular if it only grasps universal forms. Thomas premises his argument on the fact that the intellect only knows an individual through what the, senses, the sense power receives. And the sense powers receive forms under determinate dimensions. The, the obvious background here is intellect is of universals, or understandings of universals and senses of individuals. Basic Aristotelian axiom. But like, if, if intellect only knows universals, how does it ever get to know the singular? Well, it gets to know the singular by reflexively going back to the sensible forms, to what the senses receive. And that includes determinate dimensions. In this way, form is individuated out of this matter existing under determinate dimensions. Unlike our passage in the Trinitate question 4, article 2, the form here does not serve as an ontological principle, but as a cognitive principle. The intellect first knows universal form, and it knows a singular through designated matter under determined dimensions, by reflexively knowing these principles in the phantasm. Such is Thomas's view of the role of determinate, dimension, determinate and indeterminate dimensions in, a, in, in individuation. When we look at other texts, a pattern, this pattern reemerges. When Thomas refers explicitly to indeterminate dimensions, he discusses the individuation of the Eucharist and the separated soul. These texts discuss the numerical distinction of particular individuals. And uh, in the text that we saw, Boethius's commentary, Thomas's commentary in Boethius's Dejunitate, question 4, article 2, discusses the cause of numerical distinction itself. So when he's talking about individuation proper, just as such, he brings in indeterminate dimensions as the, as the principle of individuation. Similarly, some texts that might suggest implicit references to indeterminate dimensions, because he doesn't always say indeterminate, focus on the numerical distinction of angels, the Eucharistic species, and the resurrected body. The latter passages refer to the nature of dimensions, or to, or to dimensions that do not vary. Since Thomas describes indeterminate dimensions in this way, both in Book 4 of his commentary on the sentences and his, in his commentary on De Trinitate, Question 4, Article 2, we interpret these texts as suggesting that Thomas continues to rely on the notion of indeterminate dimensions as a principal individuation into his very last years of writing. 
this is because Father Whipple, I'm writing saying, saying this because Father Whipple and a lot of other people say, say he abandoned the idea because of Averroes. He abandoned the idea of indeterminate dimensions. Yeah, he, he stopped talking about the word indeterminate dimensions, uh, but he's still implying it. He's talking about the nature of dimensions as such. Finally, the intelligibility of an individual chiefly surfaces in the context of indeterminate dimensions. In these texts, Thomas states that the intelligibility, ratio, of an individual is that which is undivided in itself and that which is distinct from others in the same species. With this definition, the ontological problem of individuation comes into view. How can there be an individual composed of form and matter when the form is not undivided in itself and the matter is not distinct from others? This question is also often arises in the context of quantitative change. How does a corporeal substance remain numerically the same, that is, undivided in itself and distinct from others, despite its constant change of dimensions? Faced with these difficulties, in some texts, Thomas answers that indeterminate dimensions serve to render matter designated. When discussing individuals such as the resurrected body, the separated soul, or the Eucharistic species, or when discussing the principle of individuation as such, Thomas argues that matter under indeterminate dimensions sufficiently explains the principle of numerical distinction. By contrast, Thomas proceeds differently when he refers to determinate dimensions. In these discussions, Thomas does not consider the ontology of an individual. Rather, he considers the individual as a singular or a particular in the mind. He considers the common nature of an individual or the form of the whole obtained through the senses. And the question is what the individual adds to that nature or form of the whole. For instance, Thomas's commentary in Book One of the Senses states that demonstrated matter is added to the nature to make it designated. Also, De Dientes et Essentia, chapter 2, states that the individual Socrates adds designated matter under determinate dimensions to the essence of Socrates. Numerous other instances show Thomas referring to designated matter to distinguish the common nature from its composite. Thomas also relies on determinate dimensions to multiply or individuate the nature. For instance, in the commentary in Book 3 of the sentences, states that the human nature is individuated and divided by the same principle, that is, by matter considered under determinate dimensions. This is human nature we're talking about, not this form and matter. Similarly, Thomas's commentary in Book 2 of the Dianamach examines the individuation of the common nature in corporeal things and finds that matter under determinate dimensions explain their individuation. The question in these texts is no longer about the ontological principles of form and matter. Rather, these co-principles are subsumed by the common nature or the form of the whole. The question of individuation in these contexts is how universal belongs in a particular, and how cognitive form belongs to this known individual. Because the cognitive form has matter in it, but it's just not this matter. Uh, how does something common exist in something individual? Thomas answers that a common nature or the form of the whole is individuated through matter designated by determinate dimensions. Socrates adds something to the nature of man as realized as this man. Socrates is an instance of the universal's man and animal because of his principle of individuation. In these contexts, Thomas is asking how Socrates is a man and an animal when man and animal are universals. Thomas answers this conceptual question with a principle which he also calls the principle of individuation. individuation. The principle whereby nature exists as this individual nature is designated to matter with determinate dimensions. In sum, Thomas has not shifted his views on the dimensions necessary for the principle of individuation. Designated matter is always the principle of individu individuation. However, designated matter individuates in different ways depending on the subject of individuation and the ontological on, on what is being individuated. In the ontological order, Thomas considers how matter and form become individuated. In these texts, matter under 
indeterminate dimensions is the necessary, necessary principle of individuation. In the conceptual order, however, Thomas considered how, considers how the known corporeal substance is individuated. In this order, Thomas illustrates how the individual escapes the direct consideration of the intellect. And it describes how the individual is distinct from his common nature. Indeed, when the, when the intellect reflexively turns back to indirectly consider the singular, it turns to the sense powers, which receive forms under determined dimensions. In these instances, designated matter with determinate dimensions renders something indefinable and individually distinct. Section 2. After this overview of Thomas on the question of individuation, especially the controversial question about the role of dimensions, we should now turn our attention to the interpretation given by Owens. Owens mentions two difficulties regarding Thomas's view of dimensions. One of these difficulties is that quantity as an accident has to presuppose for its existence the individual substance upon which it depends for its being. This is a standard objection to relying on an accidental account of the for the, for the principle of individuation. Accidental forms are naturally posterior to substance in the order of existence, so accidental forms cannot determine matter prior to the arrival of the substantial form. Another difficulty arises from the manner in which quantitative dimensions cause the, the individuation. That is, these dimensions have to be indeterminate in order to preserve the identity of the substance from the continuous change of determinate dimensions. This difficulty regards the reliance on existing determinate dimensions, because Aquinas says so often determinate dimensions. Owens wants to try to resolve this issue in his own way. Owens' solution focuses on Thomas's reliance on the order of notion, or rationem, for individuation. Thomas explains the notion of an, of an individual to discuss individuation. For example, in Book 4 of his commentary on the sentences, Thomas states, two things belong to the notion of an, of an individual. Namely, that it be an actual being, either in itself or in something else, and that it be divided from other things that are or can be in the same species, while being undivided in itself. And therefore, the first principle of individuation is matter, by which being and actuality accrues to every such form, whether substantial or accidental form. And the secondary principle of individuation is dimension, because for, from it, matter has the capacity to be divided. The same explanation of the notion of individual is given Thomas's commentary on Boethius' De Trinitate, question 4, article 2, response 3, response to ob objection 3, where Thomas states, It rightly belongs to matter to individuate all other forms by the fact that it is subject to that form which of itself has the ratio of individuation. Thomas is clearly embedding his explication of individuation in terms of the rational or conceptual order. Owens further points out that Thomas discusses indeterminate or undefined dimensions in terms of understanding. For example, again in Book 4 of his commentary on the sentences, Thomas, Thomas states, uh, this is uh, Owens's translation, undefined, undefined meaning indeterminate dimensions, undefined dimensions have to be understood in the matter of generable and perishable things in priority to the reception of the substantial form and therefore division according to these dimensions pertains properly to the matter, but completed and definite quantity comes to the matter after the substantial form. Thomas here and elsewhere considers individuation in terms of dimensions and the order of understanding. Dimensions cannot exist prior to the advent of an actualization of the substantial form, but they can be understood 
prior to the actualization of the substantial form. These dimensions prior to the actualization of the substantial form are indeterminate. Thomas seems to preserve the priority of substance to accidents by embedding the question of individuation in the order of understanding, even when speaking about ontological principles of matter and form. At the same time, matter and dimensions are not alone as principles of individuation, uh, as Owens is quick to point out. Matter, uh, uh, matter is concreted with its correlative principle, that is, the form. Any understanding that we have of pure potency must be in relation to a form of the body. In the context of individuation, the actuality by which matter has the potentiality to be made divisible by the nature of dimensions is through the actuality of the form. There is, a, there is a reciprocal order here of act and potency, is how I would put it. Vimauer and Owens further state that, dim, that dimensions, matter, and form would not individuate if not for the actuality of existence. So from the insight that individuation requires the actuality of the form, in this reciprocal causality of form, matter, and dimensions. Uh, Maurer and Owens conclude that individuation must also require the actuality of the act of existence. So uh, this is our summary, but we might add comment here in our summary to state that there is no question that existence stands or falls with the individual, <coughs> uh, as other critics have already stated. But the question is whether existence, existence plays a role in, in individuation proper. Such an interpretation that existence plays an individuating role would have to at least contend with the many statements where Thomas repeatedly states that only substance is individuated through itself and through its proper principles. Thomas consistently centers the discussion of the principles of individuation in the substance in the and in the nature of the thing. In these passages, Tom there is no indication that existence is one of these prop proper principles. So it is already quite a statement to hold that the actuality of existence is necessary for individuation. And yet Owens quickly adds that existence is therefore, quote, the basic cause of individuality, close quote, for Thomas. So that's what he says. Interpreting individuation in terms of the actual line of causality allows Owens to interpret Thomas as making use of, quote, two different sequences in explaining individuation, close quote. As support, Owens cites a passage that states, quote, the dimensive quantity according to its notion does not depend upon sensible matter, although it does depend upon it according to its existence." Close quote. In other words, dimensive quantity can be understood without sensible matter, but it cannot exist without sensible matter. You can think of 10 feet without thinking of yarn or something like it, but 10 feet still cannot exist without yarn or something like it. These two sequences of explaining individuation, one in the order of being and the other in the order of consideration, as we shall see, address the two mentioned difficulties regarding dimensions. According to Owens, within the order of being, existence individuates everything, God, angels, corporeal substances. According to Owens, this approach resolves the issue of whether Thomas shifted his view on the types of dimensions necessary for dimensions, because indeterminate and determined dimensions are only higher and lower, and lower levels of abstraction. As Owens states, the matter is determined by the dimensions, but the, di but the dimensions themselves may be undefined. It is in their undefined status that they serve as the individuating principle of a body. The process is still that of projecting in thought the dimensions to be understood in matter before it can be regarded as the cause of individuation. According to Owens, indeterminate or undefined dimensions serve as a principle of individuation, and determinate dimensions serve as a principle of individu individuation only in some way that in some ways, from a quote, from one passage, two passages in the early commentary on the sentences where Aquinas says that. It's not clear what he's meaning. But Owens is making, taking this as a key distinction to talk about 
determinate dimensions as if it was some kind of inferior type of principle of individuation to indeterminate dimensions. Owens thinks that undefined dimensions provide a more nuanced approach to the principle of individuation because they are not confined to a specific measure or shape. Undefined or indeterminate dimensions are a generic con consideration of dimensions and contain definite dimensions implicitly and distinctly. Determinate dimensions can still play a loose role, however, since only determinate dimensions actually exist. In this way, Owen seems to avoid the accusation that Thomas shifts his mind on dimensions necessary for individuation by stating that defi defined or determined dimensions cannot precisely be the principle of individuation and the order of understanding. By shifting the individuating role of matter and dimensions to the order of logic and notion, not to the order of reality and being, Owens's interpretation also seems to skirt the problems associated with the accidental theory of individuation. The priority of substance to accidents in the order of reality is not compromised. The backdrop, to the, porphyrian, the, the backdrop to the porphyrian tree that Owens mentioned seems justified. The more general notions sub, are, are at the top, and this is on uh, section 6 of the handout. The more um, general notions are at the top, and the descent is made to the individuals at the bottom. Substance, body, and matter require differentiation. differentiation. Quote, this matter has to be understood as requiring undefined dimensions before it can be understood as receiving form. In this way, the dimensions as undefined play the role of secondary principle of individuation, close quote. From this viewpoint of notion or consideration, the role of dimensive quantity in the, individual, in, the, in, the, in the individuation of the material thing is basic. But from the viewpoint of being and reality, existence is the basic actuality of, of the material thing. In this third section, I want to argue that Owens's ingenious interpretation fails. I will ignore his interpretation of determinate dimensions because I think we've shown enough how Thomas uses both determinate and indeterminate dimensions as co-equal principles of individuation that answer different problems of, individu individu of individuation. But the reason Owens's interpretation uh, fails is that it misses Thomas's metaphysical context. It is true that, uh, as Owens states, that the background against which Aquinas, uh, the background against which Aquinas discusses individuation is extensive. Uh, and this is again from uh, section six. It is partly logical, namely in the porphyrian tree in which the predicates descend from the most universal down to the most specific in relation to the individual subject of which they are asserted or denied. It is partly in the realm of natural philosophy in which a substantial form is received into matter and multiplied numerically by the reception. It is also metaphysical, Owen states, insofar as individuation means the unity of a thing in itself and, therefore, and thereby its differentiation from others. For unity is a transcendental property that follows upon being. Owens's interpretation faces a problem, however, when it parses the principle of individuation according to these different fields. The strictly metaphysical problem of individuation, according to Owens, seems to be about, quote, the unity of a thing in itself, and thereby its differentiation from others. For unity is a transcendental property that follows upon being, close quote. Thomas does state that an individual is an actual being, either in itself or in something else, and is divided from other things that are or can be in the same species, while being undivided in itself. This definition resembles the definition for unity. The one is that which is undivided in itself, as you might know. Sometimes Thomas even states that one is that which un is undivided in itself and divided from others, which is how Aquinas seems to define ind individual. The problem with suggesting that the metaphysics of individuation regards unity, however, is that the notion of the individual includes more than the notion of unity. <coughs> 
the commentary on the sentences adds the notion of, of individual that it be quote divided from other things that are or that are or can be in the same species close quote the parallel de Trinitate passage states quote the individual is undivided in itself and divided from other things by the last of all divisions this expression the last of all divisions is clearly logical genera divide into species and species are divided into individuals indeed Thomas holds that the individual insofar as it means something undivided in itself is a logical notion a term of second imposition. So the metaphysical question is not what simply renders something undivided in itself and divided from others. The metaphysical, me, the metaphysical question of individuation regards numerical unity, not transcendental unity, as Owens claims. It, encompass, it encompasses, that is, a logical being. The fact that the notion of the individual is a term of second intention does not mean that the principle by which it is individual is itself a logical principle. Terms such as individual, particular, or singular are nouns of second intention that signify a thing under the intention of singularity. So the term individual does not signify Socrates or Plato except under the aspect of individuality. Thomas outlines three factors regarding an individual substance. Uh, this is from De Potentia. Yeah, I think I have it here. Number 10. Tom, uh, there is the nature of a genus and a species existing in the individual. There is the nature's mode of existence as proper to that individual and not as common to many. And there is the principle whence arises this mode of existence. The nature considered in itself is common, and the nature's mode of existence is also common. The third factor in individual substance, Thomas states, is not common. The principle, quote, the principle of that mode of existence Namely, the principle of individuation is not common, but differs in each individual. For this particular thing is individualized by this matter, and that one by that matter. Accordingly, just as the term denoting the nature is common and definable, for example, man or animal, so too is the term denoting the nature together with such a mode of existence, for example, hypostasis or person. On the other hand, the term that includes in its signification a determinate principle of individuality is neither common nor definable, that it, for example, Socrates or Plato. The term individual names a commonality regar regarding an individual substance, that is, the nature's mode of existence, as proper to that individual and not as common. But the principle through which this individual mode of existence arises is not common. Since it is not common, we can infer that it is also not, a log not logical, because logical principles must be common principles. The principle of individuation, Thomas states, is, in this passage, is individual matter. This understanding of the individual as something undivided in itself and distinct from others in the species helps us further see that the problem of individuation is a corollary to the problem of universals, the famous problem. Thomas's universals are not Occam's. Thomas's universals are not singular of themselves, and they cannot be handled by logical properties of terms such as signification, Rather, for Thomas, universals need something in addition to the individuals. The particular always adds something to the universal. We know for Thomas that the question of individuation is a metaphysical question, not because of transcendental unity, as Owens claims, but rather because, as Thomas states, quote, universals and particulars flow from being as differences or essential properties of being, close quote. Avicenna states the same about the science of being as being. Universals and particulars are quasi-proper accidents of being. For Thomas, these universals and individuals cross through every genus. 
We cannot resolve Thomas's theory of individuals of universals here, but we can at least state that for Thomas, Plato was wrong. There are no subsisting universals. There are only universals in the mind. Quote, the form of animal or man has some commonality insofar as it exists in the mind, which mind understands one form as common to many inasmuch as it abstracts it from all individuating principles. Close quote. So Owens is partly right. Whatever form or universal that requires individuation is, is the result of some abstraction by the ancient intellect. There are in reality only there are in reality only this form and this matter and this nature. The mind's immaterializing power strips the individual form, individual matter, and individual nature from its individuating conditions. So we are left with a nature of form and matter that can belong to many. We're beginning to see now the complexity of Thomas's theory of individuation. Whatever it is that can be universalized by the immaterializing power of abstraction can also be individuated. Thomas states that no universal, whether being or unity or genera or species, has a separate being apart from singular things. This means that every universal can be found somehow in singular things, at least as a remote foundation. And indeed, when we examine the text of Thomas on what is being individuated, we see that that, that, that which is being individuated is somehow abstracted by the intellect. The, in, the agent intellect proceeds through an abstraction by which we grasp an apprehended or common nature. As we have seen, for Thomas, the common nature is individuated in this or that thing through matter under determinate dimensions. The possible intellect also proceeds through an abstraction by which we grasp the form. Whether that form be natural, as the form of a statue is abstracted by the intellect from the bronze statue, or mathematical, as the form of a triangle is abstracted by the intellect from an isosceles triangle. These natural and mathematical forms can themselves be individuated by matter considered uh, under dimensions. It should be clear by now that individuation is strictly metaphysical. The principle of individuation concerns not the species or genus directly, but the nature of such a species or genus. Individuation also considers, the individuation also concerns the form of the part that requires individuation in things such as the Eucharist or the resurrected body. The metaphysical question of individuation then asks for the necessary conditions for an individual rather than a universal. The metaphysical context becomes even more clear when considered in terms of creation. When Thomas asks whether God knows singulars, he's facing a real problem, a real Aristotelian problem which some answered in the negative. I think Avicenna is what they say. But Thomas's consistent and forceful answer is yes, God knows individuals. In one argument, Thomas repeats an argument that if God did not know singulars, he would be dumb. But God is not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, he knows singulars. A more uh, relevant argument for us would be that God knows singulars because God makes both, God makes both universals and singulars. And he makes these singulars through the principles of individuation, which he also knows. But whatever knows the principles of individuation must also know the individual. So God knows the individual. Here is Thomas's argument. For since his understanding is his essence, he must understand all things that are in any way in his essence. Now within his essence, as within the first source, there are virtually present all things that are in any way, that in any way have being, since he is the first and universal principle of being. Matter and accidents, are not absent from among these things, since matter is a being in potency and accident is a being in another. Therefore, the knowledge of singulars is not lacking to God. Close quote. 
Thomas Ellsworth states that God knows singulars through the ideal exemplars inasmuch as they are productive of matter, which is the principle of individuation. So divine ideas are, are, are integral here. The context of metaphysics of individuation be, should be clearer now. These universals are founded on or derivative of God's ideas of individuals as necessary means by which to create individuals. To make Socrates, God also makes animal nature and irrational nature. So universals are somehow in nature before we even know it. We can abstract universals from our experience of individuals, but this metaphysical order of nature is independent of our logical order of discovery. The abstract universal implies both the nature of a thing and an uh, both the nature of a thing and its abstraction or universality. The nature itself, to which it occurs to be understood, abstracted, or considered as universal, is only in individuals. And we explain that by which the nature is individual through the principle of individu individuation. It belongs to the science that studies pa particular, the particular and the universal as the central properties of being, as being, to study the way in which a nature or form belongs to this or that individual. In, the, in a sense, the study of, is divine, since God causes the entire substance of the thing as to both its matter and its form. Uh, I have a three more pages on, on something. I don't have time. But it's a, a conclusion, which is, so Owens' thesis is so attractive because existence applies to God, angels, and corporeal substances. It's a global principle of individuation. Uh, Duan and Noon mentioned this. So uh, uh, does, uh, does Thomas have a global principle of individuation? And, and the answer is yes, in a way. Uh, um, the principle is, uh, I can read my own statement here, uh, is insofar as something is incommunicable, as long as it's not able to be received in another. So if it's not able to be received in another, it's individual. And that's actually how he grounds uh, God's existence as individual. He says, God is individual insofar as, as he is incommunicable, that is not able to be received in, in, into anything, by anything. God is a pure, unreceived act. Uh, but also, uh, he says separated whiteness is, can be individual. Separated whiteness can be individual because it's not received in anything. This is just mind-blowing. Uh, and then he says, but then he, then he misses, even the principle of innovation in, in corporeal substances doesn't even matter. The reason why it's individual is that it does not have the natural capacity, this is quote, it does not have a natural capacity of being received in something else. So as in terms of a global theory of individuation, capacity the incapacity to be received in something else, it would be a way to go. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thomistic Studies podcast. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, and leave a five-star review, which helps others discover the show. The Center for Thomistic Studies is based at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas, and it is the only graduate philosophy program in the United States uniquely focused on the thought of St. Thomas. If you are interested in future talks and events at the Center, please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Thomistic Studies to receive regular updates and news. 
For more information about the center, please visit us online at sttom.edu slash cts. That's s-t-t-h-o-m dot e-d-u slash c-t-s. Thank you.